Well, welcome to Emmaus Church Community. My name is Nathan. Raise your hand if you like a Bible. We will hand one to you. Thanks, gentlemen, for your help. If you need sermon notes, that will help you follow along. If you're new with us today, please fill out a communication card and, um, and let us know that you're here. It's helpful for us to stay in touch that way. Love to give you a bag of coffee. If you're near somebody that you haven't met yet, meet them and ask them if they drink coffee. And then just help yourself to the coffee stash out on your way out today. Welcome if you're online with us. Glad that you've joined us this morning. Really excited about today. Let me just start by saying this. It is the second Sunday of Lent. And I know that Lent is working. And I know that my discipline, my, the, the, the fast that I have chosen is working. And here's how I know. Because I'm crabby. <laughs> That's why it's working, right? It's working. It's it's rubbing off uh, that that like I'm gonna appease my needs with comforts, and it's causing me to face some of the harder realities in my life, and uh, it's working. This is the season for this. This is when we lean in. This is when we uh, want to become more aware of our need for Christ, ultimately, so that we can more wholeheartedly celebrate the fullness of his resurrection and triumph in several weeks down the road. So I want to encourage you to allow the, the Christian calendar, the seasons that have been set, set apart for the church, to do the work, right? To do the work, to have the desired effect. Let's par- and you do that by simply participating at some level, um, by, by jumping into the theme of this season. This is the season of Lent, and it's a time of preparation. It's the fast that comes before the feast. All right, um, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, we are addressing really common themes in this season of Lent, but we're doing so from a, a variety of perspectives. And one of the challenges um, that I'm, I'm very aware of, not quite as much as I used to be because our kids are getting older, but one of the challenges that I, I'm still pretty aware of is the challenge of engaging intentionally in spiritual formation when you are responsible for all these little kids, right? This is an incredibly challenging time for many when kids are small because it's just like trying to keep it together. And so I really debated whether or not this would be uh, a blessing of an invitation or or like a an unreasonable challenge, but I invited a mom of three to preach because I want to hear from her perspective specifically in this whole process of becoming more like Christ through the season of Lent. I met Christina Wilkins and her husband Tim, I think three years ago when they started coming to Emmaus. I've been just delighted to be considered a friend of theirs over this time and have had several conversations with Christina. She's a deep thinker. She has insights that are compelling to me. I've invited her to speak several times, and she finally said yes. Would you welcome with me our guest speaker for today, Christina Wilkins. God bless you. What a year it has been. Exactly one year ago, I gave birth to my third son in four years. I remember looking at videos on social media of um, people in other countries. Musicians playing music outside of their windows to lift the spirits of their neighbors. And people um, in streets cheering on sanitation workers for braving the outside world in the midst of a pandemic. 
with a very sweet and sleepy newborn in my arms, I turned and I asked my husband, do you think this coronavirus thing is something we're going to have to worry about? I could not have anticipated what the coming weeks would bring. I began to spiral into fear and anxiety, feelings that only deepened the postpartum depression I was already experiencing. My depression felt like a thick fog set in a labyrinth that I couldn't quite find my way out of. Physically, I felt at a loss. I was having a difficult time recovering, and the continued support I would have received was stopped because of the stay-at-home orders. Spiritually, I felt far from God. I forgot that he was with me. I didn't feel like he was near. So in that time, I stopped my rhythm of Bible reading and prayer, and my Bible eventually stayed closed and gathered dust. There was nothing sustainable about what I chose for comfort in that season, with my phone in one hand and my remote control in the other. I knew that reading my Bible and spending time in prayer would help me, but the motivation just was not there. Regardless, before I even felt like it, I made an ordinary decision to open my Bible and start reading again. I started piecing together fragmented, broken prayers that only God could make sense of. And through that ordinary obedience, that set the foundation for something absolutely extraordinary. I believe that ordinary obedience leads to extraordinary action that changes the room. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 12. If you have one of the Bibles here, that would be on page 750. John chapter 12, starting in verse 1, reads, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Let's pray. In the words of my three-year-old Timmy, Jesus, help us. Amen. Ordinary obedience leads to extraordinary action that changes the room. Ordinary obedience. Now, certainly what Mary did here, anointing the feet of Jesus, was no ordinary thing. But I can't help but think what amounted within her that led to such an extraordinary action. We read through the gospel that Mary chose to sit at the feet of Jesus. She leaned in. She was eager, learning, choosing to draw close to him. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus for a long time. She most likely grew up in the Jewish custom to some degree, and so she would have known of the coming Messiah. 
Mary not only listens to the teachings of Jesus, but she believes them. She believes in her heart who he is, the Son of God, her Savior. Because Mary believed who Jesus is, perhaps she better understood her own identity as the one who Christ came to save. The one who is love loves us deeply, and he came to earth to die for us, to save us, to make us whole. Perhaps Mary's ordinary devotion was the reason she understood and even accepted his coming death for her, Christ's beloved. And perhaps sitting at the feet of Jesus is important because over time and with each day, it gives our eyes sight to who we really are, the beloved. I love this quote by Henry Nouwen in his book, The Life of the Beloved. He writes, As long as being the beloved is little more than a beautiful thought or a lofty idea that hangs above my life to keep me from becoming depressed, nothing really changes. What is required is to become the beloved in the commonplaces of my daily existence and bit by bit to close the gap that exists between what I know of myself and the countless specific realities of everyday life. Becoming the beloved is pulling the truth revealed to me from above down into the ordinariness of what I am in fact thinking, talking about, and doing from hour to hour. Mary gives us an, a, a great example of ordinary obedience, and what a foundation it lays for what we learn of her next. Now, it's important to know that in the context of this time and place, it was not customary to anoint someone at a dinner party, especially for burial. I mean, think about it, even today. Imagine you are at a friend's house, and they invite you over for dinner, and then they bring out this incredible outfit. I mean, nice threads, really good quality, great brand, and they gift it to you. And you're just taken aback. Thank you so much, what is this for? And they say, it's for you to wear at your funeral. <laughs> I mean, that's odd, right? That just doesn't happen. I imagine that that is what is happening here in this room. A couple of um, interesting thoughts on Mary's perfume and anointing Jesus that make it both uncommon and extraordinary. The perfume she used was expensive and imported. It was kept in an alabaster jar with a long neck that would have to be broken for it to be poured out. Now, I grew up in the church, and I've read this story time and time and time again, and often I find I become too familiar with the text to really understand this was a big deal. John's passage says that this was worth a year's wages. I mean, think about how much money you make in a year. This cost Mary something. And on anointing, throughout the Bible, we see kings and prophets anointed. Through, through a religious ceremony, these leaders would be anointed as the voice of God to the people or the voice on behalf of God to the people. There would be a ritual, and that would remind the leader of their great responsibility to lead their people by God's wisdom. Other reasons for anointing would be to place high value on something or establish a sacred place where someone met with God. And the Jewish custom of burial was steeped in ritual and tradition, and so a special mixture of oils would be used to anoint someone for burial. And that demonstrated a great amount of respect. Now, anointing Jesus as prophet, priest, and king would all be true in Jesus' case. But Jesus says, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. And in Mark's account of this story, Jesus says, she poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. 
This is both peculiar and profound. Mary had saved this treasured perfume and broken the neck of the alabaster jar for this very moment. And Jesus hadn't even died yet. Mary seemed to accept, perhaps even better than the disciples, why Jesus was going to die. And she took the time to anoint his body while he was still living. By doing so, and with a grateful heart, Mary proclaims Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who would die and be raised back to life to make us, his beloved, whole. Her extraordinary action, both literally and figuratively, could not be contained. An extraordinary action fueled by ordinary devotion. Perhaps you can relate to this. Often I demand the spiritually extraordinary without the groundwork and the framework of ordinary obedience. I'd like to fast forward to the spiritually extraordinary and just skip all the hard work and the seemingly insignificant things. But I've found that it's in the daily devotion to Christ that he sets the groundwork for us to fully receive the spiritually extraordinary in our worship, our healing, our breakthrough, and our peace. For me, depression is something I've struggled with for a long time. In my late teens, I used self-harm as a form of release to cope with my depression. That was a dark and scary time in my life, one that God has since healed me from. I never in a million years would have thought those thoughts would come back, except for when they did, and it was scary. During my postpartum depression early in 2020, I knew for myself and for my family that I could not go back to this. So in the middle of a pitch black night, curled up in a fetal position under my covers, with the last ounce of courage I had left, I made for me what was an extraordinary decision. The decision to start therapy again. I began meeting with a therapist online and through many focused counseling sessions, I began understanding the roots of my depression and began a journey towards healing. But I can't help but wonder, had I not made the ordinary choice each morning to receive guidance from God's word, would I have made the extraordinary decision to receive guidance from a therapist? I believe God uses therapy to heal us. One of the many ways he is Christ the healer. Here's another story. The night before last year's women's retreat was the worst I had in a while. I almost decided not to participate, but something deep within me knew I needed this badly. Many of you recall our retreat was modified um, to a virtual prayer retreat because of COVID. I dedicated a 24-hour period of time in prayer by myself and with a small group of women in our community. In my vulnerability and willingness to share with them, I found comfort in their words and their prayers. It was absolutely sacred and pure and life-altering for me. In my own time of prayer, I felt God's love for me fully for the first time in what felt like too long. I remembered and experienced the powerful truths that Jesus is with me and that he delights in me. And my once fragmented prayers became a continued surrender of control and declarations of trust. Many extraordinary and healing things happened in those 24 hours of the prayer retreat. But I can't help but wonder, if it weren't for my ordinary decision to spend time in prayer again every day, 
would, have, would I have made the extraordinary decision to prioritize a 24-hour prayer retreat? I believe God uses our time in prayer to heal us. One of the many ways he is Christ the healer. Have you ever been in a place where there's an obvious moment happening in the room? Like you can feel the weight. It's something significant. And maybe someone there just doesn't quite get it. And you just kind of cringe. Maybe they say something inappropriate to the situation. And you just think, oh my goodness, read the room. Read the room. I imagine that's probably what's happening here in John's passage. We read in another account that they're at Simon the leper's house, who Jesus just healed from leprosy. And Lazarus was also at the table among them, who Jesus just raised from the dead. I mean, Jesus and his disciples were sitting at the dinner table in a room full of miracles. This particular dinner was held in Jesus' honor, and he was the whole point of the feast for the healing he had done and what most couldn't even comprehend yet, what he was yet to do in his death and burial and resurrection. Mary understood this and she changed the room. I imagine the sound of Mary's alabaster jar breaking, turned heads in the room. Culturally, the disciples would have been familiar with this particular sound, knowing that the breaking of such a jar was for something profoundly significant, an offering, an anointing, preparation for burial. But here, at the dinner table, how unceremonious they must have thought this to be. In Mark's account of this story, he writes, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. The disciples were indignant. This shocked them. Culturally, the religious act of anointing someone was done by a man. Mary is a woman, a woman without authority, without title, without position. No one gave her permission. And Mary touched Jesus. John 12, 3 says, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. It's important to recognize that Jesus is countercultural for this time. He doesn't rebuke Mary for what she does, like the disciples do. He commends her for it. But I imagine, in all of Jesus' love, that he saw right through the surface reaction of a ritual faux pas, straight into what was truly hidden in the hearts of the disciples. Throughout the books of the gospel, we see that the disciples shared a continuous misunderstanding of Christ's mission. They expected Jesus to make the right political moves, and when he kept talking about dying, they maybe felt varying degrees of anger and fear and disappointment. Maybe they even thought, why were we chosen if Jesus' mission is doomed to fail in his death? And maybe... Mary's anointing Jesus revealed that anger and fear and disappointment. This is my favorite part. John 12, 4 says, And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The fragrance of Mary's perfume, like light in darkness, filled the room. The revealed hearts of the disciples' fear and anger and disappointment were overcome with the scent of Mary's extraordinary action. Jesus says in Mark 14, 9 of Mary, Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. 
Jesus seems to be the only one in the room who understands how necessary and profound and significant this anointing is, and his response is the most important. An extraordinary action with perhaps the most extraordinary praise. I felt my own story parallel that of the disciples who were not in tune with the moment when I didn't feel the motivation to read my Bible or spend time in prayer. But something I remembered that I saw growing up made me think, this is the way. It was the example of my parents, a genuine devotion to Jesus. Each morning growing up, I would see my dad sitting in his closet on his knees in prayer. Next to him was a chair with his open Bible on top. And then I would walk downstairs into the kitchen and see my mom at the kitchen table with her Bible open, pouring over the scriptures, just studying God's word with her hot cup of coffee in hand. Ordinary obedience matters not only because God uses it to heal us, but it's important because of who is watching. My hope is, just as I watch my own parents, that my boys will see my daily devotion to Jesus. My heart absolutely skips a beat when they tell me at bedtime, I'll see you in the good morning for quiet time. And when they hand me their Bibles and ask me to read them a story and ask eager questions about the Bible and prayer and the meanings of worship lyrics, even when it's a comment about how the word amen sounds like almonds. <laughs> I'll take it. It's precious to me. My hope is that the many, the many memories of their mom on my knees in prayer will help them to find their own ordinary obedience that leads to extraordinary action that changes the room. I hope they will carry it with them as they navigate choices when, not if, life gets difficult yet. It's what I can't see yet, but it's what I hope for. It's the restoration of all things. Perhaps the most important place to be is sitting at the feet of Jesus for ourselves, for our family, and for our future. Maybe this is all Jesus asks of us, what we can do. Mark's gospel quotes Jesus' response to Mary, saying, she has done what she could. Maybe extraordinary isn't unattainable. Mary did what she could. For me, as a mom of three boys under five, I am doing what I can, and it is enough. It is worth all we have to devote ourselves daily to him because this is how he makes us whole. Like Pastor Nate preached last week, although an integral part of our faith, our relationship with Jesus isn't exclusively about forgiveness of sins and getting into heaven, it is also about receiving wholeness and healing and salvation for our here and now and more. Ordinary obedience in our day-to-day -day is the way of wholeness. Let's take a moment to pause, grab a pen and your note sheet, and write down an answer to these two questions. What should you do? What does ordinary obedience look like to you? What's something small, seemingly insignificant? Maybe it's washing the dishes after someone else cooks a meal. Maybe it's paying full attention to your kid when he asks a question. Whatever it is, write it down. Next question, what do you hope for? What would be the result of that? How could that change 
the room. As we look toward Easter, may we carry this question in our hearts and ask ourselves, what will God say of us when we meet him face to face? May he say like Mary of Bethany, you have done what you could. Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us, that you name us beloved. You lead us gently. You are not impatient. You are kind and you are faithful. Would you take our ordinary obedience and use it for your glory? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.